Uh, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kevin Glazebrook, and I help to lead the uh, 11 o'clock congregation here. So our subject today is close to my heart. It's engaging with the Bible, and it's the fourth sermon in the series, Walking in the Way of Jesus. Tom Wright is a former bishop of Durham and has written a brilliant introduction to the Christian faith called Simply Christian. The book, unsurprisingly, contains a chapter devoted to the Bible and it starts like this. It's a big book, full of big stories with big characters. They have big ideas, not least about themselves, and make big mistakes. It's about God and greed and grace, about life, laughter, lust, and loneliness. It's about birth, beginnings, and betrayal, about siblings, squirrels and, uh, squabbles, and sex, about power and prayer and passion. And that's only Genesis. So how can we engage with this great, sprawling, wonderful book? How can we encounter God within its pages? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask you this morning, please, we pray, open our hearts and our minds to your wonderful word. And by your spirit, Open your wonderful word to our hearts and our minds. We ask this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Remembrance Sunday was always a big deal in the Glazebrook household when I was a boy. My dad had served throughout World War II, had experienced some terrible things including good friends dying alongside him in battle. So there was pain and there was pride. And my dad would don his medals and march with the British Legion and we all turned out to support. I mention this because the Stevenage Remembrance Day service was the first time I can remember having a meaningful encounter with the Bible. The reading was always John 14 in the King James Version, and it starts like this. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So there was I standing in the November cold. I thought these were great, eloquent, fitting words. And although I understood very little about what they actually meant, the first six were clear enough. Let not your heart be troubled. And I really wish that that would be true for my father. 
And when I came to faith as a university student a decade or so later, one of the things I did, one of the first things I did was to go back to this strangely familiar passage to see what it might mean to me now. So here on the screen is John 14, verses 1 to 6, this time in the New International Version. And if you wish, you can find it on page 1082 of the Church Bibles. The context is that the events leading to the trial and death by crucifixion of Jesus are now imminent. And Jesus is speaking to the 11 disciples remaining now that Judas Iscariot has left. So can I suggest that we say these six glorious verses together now? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when I read this apparently familiar passage as a new Christian, it was as though the sun came out. It seemed that I was there in the upper room alongside Peter and James and John and Thomas and Philip and the rest, and that Jesus was talking to me as much as he was talking to them. Not everything was crystal clear to me. Far from it. When Jesus promised in verse 2 to, quote, go and prepare a place for you, unquote, was I included in that? Or was that some kind of special deal just for the 11 disciples? But what did shine out to me, what was absolutely clear, was the depth of Jesus' commitment to his disciples. He was not about to abandon them. And he would not abandon me. I was safe in his care. And standing back from that early post-conversion experience of the Bible and seeking to understand it, it dawned on me that God was speaking to me by the quite extraordinary mechanism of drawing me into a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, which happened nearly 2,000 years previously in a room in Jerusalem. And I share this experience because I believe this to be typical of how God uses Scripture in our lives. Because the Bible is not some kind of academic textbook. By which I mean it does not collect together in neat and tidy topical chapters all that the people of God need to know about important matters. A chapter on the meaning and significance of the cross, perhaps. A chapter on prayer. 
And how about another chapter on guidance? The Bible has plenty to say about those things, but it does not in the main say it in carefully constructed topical blocks. The Bible is this wonderfully sprawling account of God's dealings with his people over large tracts of time, culminating in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the sending of the Spirit and the birth of the church. And when we open our Bibles, we step into that story. And we listen to what, was, what God was saying back then. And in the light of that, we seek to hear what it is that he wants to say to me and to us right here and right now. Because God has not changed. And he is speaking still. In the words of the author Jim Packer in his book, God Has Spoken, we take our stand alongside the people to whom God spoke. Abraham listening to God in Ur, Moses listening to God in Sinai, the Israelites listening to God's word from the lips of Moses and the prophets, the Jews listening to Jesus, the Romans and Corinthians and Timothy listening to Paul, and so on. Noting what God said to them and then seeking to see in the light of that what he would say to us. And so it's not only true that God has spoken, past tense, to Abraham, to Moses, to Joshua, to David, to Peter, to John, to the Ephesians, the Philippians and the rest. It's also true that God is speaking still, present tense as you and I step into the Bible, as we take our places alongside those people and ask what he is saying to us today. And my prayer is that he is speaking to you right now. But how does this work? It's all very well, say, very well saying that God can speak to me now through what he said to Abraham millennia ago. But am I at all equipped to engage with these ancient documents? Do I know what to do with them? Perhaps I need to go on some courses. Well, courses and commentaries may very well help. But the really good news is that we have an, infinite, an infinitely patient and loving teacher, and his name is the Holy Spirit or as Jesus calls him, the spirit of truth. Because reading the Bible is absolutely not just for clever people who like books. In the first two chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul has some extraordinary things to say about how God's wisdom and truth differs from human wisdom and truth. And in the course of this, in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27, he gives the Corinthian church something of a backhanded compliment. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Many of the Corinthian church were not the sharpest tools in the box. 
But it's not the clever people who understand the things of God. It's those who know Jesus and who have the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 12, this is part of our reading, Paul explains how this works. The Spirit, he writes, searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So, if I may deign to ask, as you are seated seated there, can I ask, what are you thinking? What are you thinking How much longer is this bloke going to go on for? Did I set the oven for lunch? How many goals is Erling Haaland going to score this afternoon? Perhaps you're now thinking, who is Erling Haaland? (laughs) Paul says, no one knows what someone's really thinking except that person themselves. What he calls their own spirit within them. And we might add, perhaps that's just as well. And Paul goes on to say, it's like that with God. No one knows what God is thinking except the spirit of God who, Paul tells us, searches the deep things of God. When we come to the Scriptures, we really want to see into the heart of God, to know what He's thinking and feeling, what pleases Him, what saddens Him, what moves Him to joy, what makes Him angry. And that can only come from the teaching ministry of God's Spirit. And a huge consequence of that is that when we come to meet with God and we open our Bibles we must do so in prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit to do His work of opening up the heart of God to us. As the psalmist prayed, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's Psalm 119, verse 18. Now, before I conclude, can I just make three points very quickly? Point number one. This series is called Walking in the Way of Jesus. Engaging with Scripture is indeed to walk in the way of Jesus. Whether helping the disciples on the road to Emmaus understand his rising to new life, whether confounding his opponents, whether confronting the temptations of the devil, whether explaining his mission, whether preaching to the crowds, whether crying to his Father from the cross, Jesus reaches for the Scriptures. His thinking and living and speaking is utterly permeated by what we call the Old Testament. Let me recommend a book which helped me hugely as a young Christian and which astonishingly uh, is still available. It's simply called Christ and the Bible and is by the late John Wenham. And he concluded, To Christ... The Old Testament was true, authoritative, inspired. 
To him, the God of the Old Testament was the living God. And the teaching of the Old Testament was the teaching of the living God. To him, what Scripture said, God said. Point number two. God has great purposes for his people. He wants us to love God and neighbor, to live Christ-like lives of love and integrity with a passion for justice and for the welfare of others. He wants us to know Christ and to make him known. God wants to work in us and with us and through us in the world. And in order to make that happen, he wants to speak with us. And he does so through Scripture. So Paul writes to Timothy, and again, if we stare up on the screen, can we just say these two verses of Scripture together? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The importance of Scripture is that it is God's prime means of equipping us for the good works which, Ephesians 2.10, God has prepared in advance for us to do. So if we care passionately about God's purposes and plans for our lives, it is the God-breathed book that we need. And finally, point number three, engaging with God through the Bible in the power of the Holy Spirit is an enormous privilege, and if we wish to know and follow Christ, we shall all wish to do it. And to be honest, I do not think it hugely matters exactly how we do it. If you, have found, if you have found ways of engaging with the Bible that work for you, that is brilliant. If you feel you are still looking, let me just say that the fact that you're here this morning listening to the Word of God being preached is a great start. The preaching ministry here at St. T's is something we take very seriously. The preaching team work really hard to open up the scriptures in ways which we pray you find helpful. But in addition to the engagement with scripture that comes through preaching, you'll want to develop some approaches which are personal to you. Can I just say that if this is a new thought to you, then my advice would be to start small and to start simple. When I was a new Christian, I was given a booklet called Seven Minutes with God. It was a bit prescriptive, but it had the right idea. So here is a simple suggestion for just seven minutes spent with God. First, pray for the Spirit's enabling, that the Spirit will open up the heart of God to you. Then read a short passage of the Bible, and as you read, ask the two questions, which in Acts 22, the Saul of Tarsus, as he was then, asked when meeting the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. First he asked, Who are you, Lord? What is God saying to me from this passage about who he is? And secondly, Paul asked, What shall I do, Lord? Is there something that I need to do today, someone I need to talk to? Who are you, Lord? What shall I do, Lord? How great would it be to start every day with answers to those questions? Brothers and sisters, it's not only true that God has spoken, the exciting thing is that he is speaking still as the Spirit of God opens up the Scriptures and reveals to us the mind, the heart, the purposes, 
and the will of God. The story of God's dealings with his people did not end with Revelation chapter 22 and verse 21, the last verse in the Bible. It is being written still. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, there's lots to think about there. So let's just um, pause for a moment and let the word of God sink in. Um, and then we're going to continue on in our sung worship, and that will give you a bit more time to reflect as well. <laughs> 